0: Now on Ocean FM, on the eve of the All Ireland Hogan Cup final, we bring you a special edition of the final whistle from 1985 The Sligo Boys in Blue, introduced by Austin O'Callaghan.
1: Well, this is the sound of the Summerhill roundabout at the start of Sligo's inner relief road. It's where the N4 dual carriageway. The Sligo to Dublin Road begins or ends, depending on which way you're travelling. This roundabout filters about 20,000 vehicles through it every weekday. And tomorrow morning, the bus carrying the Summerhill College senior Gaelic football team will use it to set off for their All-Ireland final. Now, the players on the bus are far too young to remember what this roundabout used to be, before it was a traffic junction. But back in the 1980s, this spot was the main Gaelic football pitch for college students. It was known as the Nazareth House pitch. Now, let's be honest, it was no Crow Park, no Wembley, there were bumps and hollows, long grass and soggy corners, but it was the school pitch and it was the training base for so many talented Summerhill players and teams. And today, if you look back through the framed photos along the school's corridors or in the old yearbooks in the Attic at home, one particular Summerhill GAA team gave Sligo a great run for its money 38 years ago because they were the first team from the college to reach the showpiece final in post-primary school's Gaelic football, the Hogan Cup. Right, before we move on, it might be worth giving you a little context around what was happening when this Summerhill College team was getting together. This was a time when the finishing touches were being put to a new airport for the west of Ireland, in Knock, of all places. 1985 was the era of Tears for Fears at number one. This song apparently became something of an anthem for at least some of the Summerhill players that year. In 85, some things were very different, some things hadn't changed at all. Kerry were still winning Senior All-Irelands. Dennis Taylor won the snooker. Remember the Black Bowl final against Steve Davis? Sligo was a different place for students. The entertainment hotspots for young fellas in town included Beezy's, the Silver Swan, Maxime's and the Savoy Cinema. If you've never heard of those, ask your father. In 1985, the Sligo County team was finding the going tough. They finished fifth in Division 4, managing just two wins against Kilkenny and Waterford. Sligo Rovers were one of four clubs to be relegated from the old League of Ireland as the new First Division was created the following season. It was also the year of the unexpected. Roscommon's Dermot Early, for example, played his last ever match for his county in a losing Connacht final against Mayo. But that game is best remembered For the Mayo players Carrying early Shoulder high Off the field of play Afterwards And then Out of the blue Came a football team In blue As Summerhill College Went on an All-Ireland run That came very close To the biggest School prize of all In Gaelic football This Is their story
2: Five years Five Wonderful Terrible Everything in between Years uh, As a boarder In Summerhill It was that age that, that makes you into the, the person, the man you're, you're going to be.
0: McDonough was a superstar, and rightly so. He was so, so good, but he never went on like it. He was a great captain. We, we had a lad playing Peter Quinn, a, a centre-half forward as well. One of the hardest people I ever met in my me life. But I couldn't understand a word he was saying to me. <laughs> like, he definitely didn't understand me.
3: So we got on well. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how any of us managed to, to pass or even serve given the level of football that we played.
4: I locked myself into a room to watch it and I said no, I can't. I can't go any further. I just couldn't, I couldn't take,
5: uh, I, I couldn't go through it. He shared a lot of his thoughts with a lot of the Jarlis fellas in the parade before, before the game. I always remember the look that the Jarlis fellas wouldn't have been used to this. They were stunned.
6: It was <laughs> sort of a trimble in the ground or something. And like, it could have been 500 metres away, I don't know, and they were getting closer and closer and closer. And, uh, I'd normally, be a calm person and even play myself, I wouldn't get too excited about it. I found myself kind of all you know, trembling and said, This is unbelievable.
1: So, where do you start when you want to build a Sligo College team capable of challenging for All Ireland honours? Well. Naturally, you lean over the garden fence and you ask the next-door neighbours for a hand.
7: Oh, the green and red and Mayo, I can see it still. It's soft and craggy boglands, it's tall, majestic hills where the ocean kisses Ireland, and the waves caress its shore. Oh, the feeling it came. The 1985 team were a massive crowd of fellas. They, they were really inspired by the management of TJ Kilgallen and Peter Ford.
1: That's the voice of Tommy McManus, a former pupil, teacher and college principal. Few people did more to keep the Gaelic Games show on the road in the school between Summerhill's first Hogan Cup final
7: appearance 38 years ago and this year's one. Peter and TJ were established players who had won Seekers and Cups with UCG, who um, were playing senior football with Mayo, had played with Connacht, and uh, they brought a new professionalism to Summerhill football.
8: I came to Summerhill in September 1982, fresh out of college, uh, a young, young, raw teacher, and uh, Peter joined us the year after. Uh, so. By the eighty four eighty five season, I was starting my third year in the school, and uh, you would have been in uh, starting your starting your second year.
1: Is it true you would have given Summerhill a reference for Peter? Get this guy in. Yeah, I think that's okay.
8: that that uh, that that is in the back of my head somehow. Yeah, as I say, um, in eighty three, a vacancy came up there in the whole maths area and probably business studies as well. So, uh, I think I might have. Uh, informed the principal that uh, I knew a guy who was well capable of, of, of filling fill <laughs> fill the, the role there. And uh, obviously I told Peter about it and uh, he applied for the job and, and the rest was history.
1: And Peter, do you remember it creating a bit of a stir Two young male footballers come onto the Sligo School at the time?
6: I don't, to be honest. Uh, I, I think we were, we were treated very normally, really, to be honest. Uh, or e- even even talked that 1985 campaign like... I remember training with the last myself, well TJ often trained with them as well, but often TG to be reffing, but I used to play and like, they'd treat me the same as one of themselves, like, they'd cut the head of you, some of them would, you know, you'd have to be, you want to be on guard, and uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't that they were trying to be a kind of hit the teacher type of thing, it was just their own competitive instinct that they wanted to size up to me and stuff like that, so, and we never felt any different, we just kind of fitted in, and uh, there was a great atmosphere there always, you know, great staff, and.
8: When Peter arrived at school too, Austin, he was um, he was a, a ch- Irish champion boxer uh, at um, in, in, in the country. So obviously, you know, th- that word would have spread in the school, like, you know, so <laughs> I think the word spread fairly quickly, like, you don't mess with Mr. Ford anyway. But <laughs> some of the lads out in the football field, they would like to have, have, have a go at him and myself, and sure. So sure that was good for us too, as well as for them.
7: What
1: age were the two of you in 85?
6: 23.
8: We we're both twenty-three. Peter just turned twenty-three, and and uh, I I was still twenty-three. Yeah.
1: How did you go about assembling this Summerhill College senior team?
8: Well, I had been in charge of the senior team the, the year the year previously, and we'd lost to St Jarlits in a in a Conrad semi-final. A very strong Jarlits team. that went on to win that Ireland um, Colleges that year, the Hogan Cup. So I suppose um, I knew a lot of the players. I'm not sure, Peter. Did you work with juveniles the, the year before? Perhaps uh, I think you might have. So. You know, we, we we knew quite a few in the school. And saying that, we had a bit of a disadvantage in that come June time, we, we were out of Sligo. Like, both of us were, were back to Mayo and be involved with the county for the summer. So we weren't around town. We didn't know much about the club structure here. And uh, I'm not quite sure how we came together. It was, you know, it wasn't a wash with coaches and, t- and managers and all that. Um, there was no queue up for these jobs. First of all, let's be fair about it. Uh, I remember Father Liam Devine had taken the senior team my first year there, but he, he had moved on to become a, the parish priest out in Strand Hill. So, you know, um, Padre O'Toole had done great work over the years, Tommy McManus also in the 70s. They managed the teams in 71 and 75. So uh, the need, there was a need for new blood, I suppose, really, uh, in, in the coaching circle. And the year before, I was manager of my own. It's unheard of now. You see that the president set up. They have, they have four great people involved with the team Back then, you were very much heading off generally on your own. So I don't know how it happened that the two of us uh, came together, but uh, you know we knew each other well and uh, and uh, we clicked and and all that. So you know it, it uh, how we assembled the panel. Well, you worked off last year, and I remember two lads that had never kicked a ball before. We by chance we got them out playing that year, and one of them was uh, Tommy Brownie. Believe it or not, I think I was teaching Tommy in the fifth year business org that year and we got talking and he told me he played football for the local club St Mary's and they were the county under 16 champions I think the previous year so I said why don't you come out to play he'd never kicked a ball in Summerhill at any grade first year juvenile junior
5: what you must remember is that um, Summer Hill was, was a boarding college at the time and I suppose there was always a high intake of, of, of boarders coming into first year so I do remember the announcement and word would go around I can't exactly remember how word goes around back, back then but I, I do remember an intercom system and you know that there'd be trials for, for first year and I remember going in as a first year really enthusiastic and I suppose I suppose been brought up and very much in the GA house it was all about going out and, and doing the trials but I mean I basically wasn't picked and uh, of course you, you accuse favoritism. About the priests uh, picking the borders in front of you because they had nothing else to do <laughs> for the rest of the evening when they were when they were cooped up in the school. And I suppose I kind of drifted. I, I probably never went back out. I suppose you know I, I didn't make. I wasn't selected on, on, on the first te- first year team that year. And I suppose one year went into the next, and I continued playing with the club. And and um, I certainly made the Sligo Under Sixteen team. And then so then from memory in nineteen eighty four, the year before eighty five, that we made our breakthrough with Summerhill. Um, there was a centenary year the GA and they actually ran an All-Ireland Club Championship um for, for all the county winners of, of, of the, the the county winners of each county and um, St. Mary's we had a great run and we got to the Ireland semi-final we were beaten by St. Vincent's of Dublin and I suppose I was personally I was developing as a player then but I still never had actually played with Summerhill but I suppose what was very significant and we probably wouldn't be having this conversation really except for I suppose uh, two young teachers came into the school at the time two Mayo footballers um, T.G. Kilgallen and Peter Ford and I suppose they, 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 they have to get a lot of the credit really for um, Um, uh, I suppose instigating I suppose that successful year in the sense that they made it their business to find out why players weren't coming out and they actually researched the local clubs and found out that you know they were amazed to, to, to hear probably that players weren't coming out and playing for the college. And I think the first thing they did was, and I remember meeting TJ Kilgallen in the corridor one day and he asked me, you know, why I wasn't coming out for the senior. And I says, I've never actually played for the college, you know. And um, I was telling him I went out in first year and I told him my story and everything else. And he says, look, at myself and Peter Ford are uh, getting involved and, and will you come out? And I did and the rest is history.
8: And the other player was Gavin Dykes. And both of them joined the pound that year and uh, made a huge t- played a huge part in it.
0: I thought you were a soccer guy in Summerhill. I was, uh, but there was a good bunch of lads and good crack going on with the Gaelic at the time, so uh, I got roped into it, uh, T.J. Kilgallen and Peter Ford. T.J. was actually teaching me, well, I was sitting in the class. I, was, I don't know if he was teaching me much, but he asked me what I go out. Uh, and we had a great bunch of lads and it sort of went on from there, Austin.
3: What I remember is the you know the excitement of of Peter Ford and TJ Cal- Kilgallen coming in i mean even though they weren't that much older than us at the time they were they were still big stars and you know when they arrived in the school there was always an expectation that they would take over the senior team and
1: that's Cormac Cairns from Suí one of five shamrock Gales boarders on the 1985
3: summerhill panel there was always trials you know in the early days and there was a handwritten team list put up or a panel put up on the front of the new building and, you know, everyone anxiously waited to see was your name on that list to be called back, you know, as the team was being involved and developed and, um, yeah, it was, um, I think TJ and Peter coming in was w- brought real momentum to that particular year, you know.
1: And what was their regime like, both in terms of training or whatever else they did to, to prepare you for the championship?
3: Well, clearly they were involved in meo, and they were bringing a lot of new ideas to, to that we never had before. I mean, the training was very, very tough, um, and uh, you know TJ and uh, Peter. I, I remember we used to spend a lot of time in the classroom. We'd all sit down in the in the classroom, and uh, they would be up on the board with their chalk, showing all the moves, um, uh, lining out the team uh, on on in the classroom environment. And of course, this was all new to us. I mean. Generally, the, you know, training was pretty simple uh, up to that point, but uh, it took on a, a layer of professionalism that we'd never seen before.
8: We trained over in, in uh, Nazareth Pitch, as it was called at the time. It's got well gone now. Obviously, there's a new the new road down by the, the, the Summerhill um, Roundabout is, is kind of where we trained. And there was a lovely hill down at the, at the bottom, down near, what was Garden Hill at the time? What's it called now? Knightsbridge or something, is it? And um, that was kind of the torture chamber down there, wasn't it? You know, you could start there with 10 tough sprints and, and, and so on. But for me, why that team did so well was the whole panel bought into it. You know, we qualified for the league. We topped our group. And we, I remember we meet, met at the panel after we came back after Christmas. We had six weeks before we were to play the Connacht semi-final against Roscommon and CBS, who finished second to Jarlits. So we laid out a plan and we trained. I remember us doing road runs, Peter. I remember us running out... Um, Around Carroll Road back in by Sligo Park, you know, you, you'd probably get sacked if you did that now as a team, oh, but I you know, <laughs> I no, but, no. but that's that that was kind of you know, not un- unnormal back then, let's say. But it was, for me, it was the panel. I mean, a lot of them were ne- never really, you know, going to get much game time, but they all talked out, they trained, they trained, and they drove each other on, and that's what made that team uh, so special.
6: I actually met, uh one of our players, Michael McKernan, about 10 or 15 years in Sligo. And I was just talking about it earlier. We are doing a shuttle run. And uh, Michael was a big, big, uh, b- big unit. But he took the first turn pretty wide. And uh, TJ, I remember TJ shouting, I never forget it. He shouted out to "And It's not in Mundello Park you were. <laughs> but Michael was telling me that about 10 or 3. I'd like, he was, a, he was a great character.
8: Sorry, Michael, I apologise yeah, profusely. Oh,
6: he, actually, he, actually, he actually enjoyed it. He was a very good footballer,
8: like. I wonder most of your listeners would know what Mandela Park is famous <laughs> for.
1: <laughs> Did the Summerhill team that year pick itself, or was selecting the 15 a torturous pr- process for you both?
6: Well, there, w- there was one or two very tight calls. Uh, uh, TG, and fairness, took responsibility for uh, giving the bad news to one or two, but uh, I know starting off the season, uh, John Clifford was cornerback and a very, very good player. But uh, we ended up, then we had seven kind of backs coming into the kind of final, all and semi-final time. And I mean, John lost out late in the year. Very, early. I mean, just a toss of a coin. And I was, just, I know he was awful disappointed and he was an exceptionally good player. And there was maybe two or three fellas for corner forward as well. Uh, uh, Bar- yeah,
8: was yeah Bar- Liam Bannigan Bar- and Liam Bannigan. Clive Barry, I think, fighting hard for I think Liam broke his ankle around January that year. He would have been in pole position, I think, prior to Christmas. But that put him back. Clyde Barry stepped up to the mark and then them lads um, battled mm-hmm. out for that position.
6: Basically he played with maybe 17, I'd say 17 fellas, probably played all the all the matches, even though we had a strong
8: panel. But that was not unusual back then. No. Because I think you could only use three subs back then at all levels as far as I can remember from playing county. Way different game where you use your 20 players nowadays. Mm-hmm. The game was way different, Austin. You know, it's so much slower of a game compared to nowadays. And you got fouls, you should leave down the ball and walk back five steps and booted down the field as far as possible. Probably more physical than now, but obviously a way slower game. Summerhill
1: College played three Connacht Championship games in the group stage in 85 to reach the semi-finals. And there were occasions when the management team's inter-county playing commitments
7: clashed with their Summerhill managerial ones. In the Connacht semi-final, a bit of an issue arose. The game was fixed for a day when there was National League games on. And both Peter and TJ were... Playing with Mayo on the day, and uh, I don't know whether John O'Mahony would have allowed it or not, but the boys anyway had to go and play with Mayo. They weren't allowed to play with, uh, look after Summerhill, so the job was passed on to Pather O'Toole and myself to look after the team on the day. Now, the amount of looking after that was needed was limited because they were so well prepared by Peter and TJ, and uh, thanks be to God. We beat Roscommon CBS and Carrick and Shannon on the day, and
6: went on to the Connacht final. Padre O'Toole actually reckoned they should have been left in charge. They
3: might have won the All Ireland. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
3: <laughs> the semi Connacht semi final in in Carrick and Shannon it was a it was a dreadful day. Um, we were cruising in that game, and um, you know we had Peter Quinn was playing with us, and he was a former Roscommon CBS player. Um, we were 9 points up in that game coming into the last quarter and they got 2 goals came back to 3 points and uh, I believe Donnie McDonough then got a, a point in the dying minutes of that game to, from a very very difficult angle with we were playing with the breeze I think in the first half but scored that point to put us 4 points up and then literally with the last kick of the game CBS got a goal which could have leveled the game and things could have been so much different so that was a, um, you know, that, that was a, a fright, if you like. Um, but then, you know, going into the, the final with, with um, Jarlitz, we were also underdogs. Nobody expected us to, to win that game.
8: We uh, quietly fancied our chances against them. They were the reigning All Ireland champions uh, from the previous year, and they still maintained quite a few of that team in uh, '85, including uh, Sligo's own Shane Tully, who worked with us in Sligo. Um, you know, 15 years later, Shane was was a big ball winner for them in the middle of the field, very good footballer, and other good lads like Decton O'Reilly from Castlebar. So they had about five of the team that won the All Ireland. But we didn't. We didn't. I don't think we we, we feared them. You know, it, there was no inferiority complex from, from the players. And actually, the Conor Fine was played in markovich Park. And, uh, you know, the drums were out, the, the city band were playing, and there was a big parade. And I remember in the parade that day, and we had nothing to do with this, but the two teams passed by us anyway. And as they passed by us, I, we overheard one of the Sligo lads pointing his finger across at uh, the Jarlis lads and saying, you're a shower of have-beens. I have no problem saying he probably admitted he said it many times. He probably could guess who it might be. It was Gavin Dykes, mm. yeah. And uh, we looked at each other and said, "God, these lads are raved up for today. They're not going to take a, a step back." And we were told
0: that these lads were fantastic, and that no matter what you said to them, they wouldn't react, and you know what, they wouldn't be intimidated. So we, I decided we test it. There so was things said around that thing that I've never said to another human going round the parade I've never said things like that to any other human being in my life well maybe I have on a football pitch but we, we got a, we rattled them it, it definitely definitely rattled them and once I started it you know Brehany joined in Jerry Sweeney joined in like I think there was abuse the whole way around but it definitely got into their heads uh, and we beat them you know, quite comfortably on the day.
5: I always remember the look that the Jardis fellows wouldn't have been used to this. They were stunned <laughs> uh, in some of the obscenities that, uh, that that Gavin was shouting their direction. <laughs> the
1: wind reverberated around the county. I mean, what was the reaction like in a place like Bun and Adden from your
2: memory? Well, Bunn and is a is a lovely place and they're very proud of their football and then they're proud of whoever from there is, is making a name and doing well and representing them well. So there would have been lots of people from there at every game and certainly made it to Connacht final, All-Ireland semifinal and final. Uh, so, yeah, it, there was a lot of interest all over the county and then because of the borders, maybe even outside the county.
1: That's Donnie McDonough, captain of the Summerhill team in 1985, who lives and works these days in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, don't worry, we're going to hear a lot more from him and about him later.
3: But back to the Connacht final and uh, those celebrations. It was insane at the time. You know, we we did appreciate the enormity of it, given the fact that we hadn't won a final in 10 years. And, um, yeah, I still have pictures at home of, of... on the pitch afterwards the, the presentation and absolutely uh, remember it vid- vividly and the night <laughs> when we all uh, ended up in i think it was maxims at the time tell us about a-, a gathering at the
1: school for the new Connor champions the next day
3: yeah there was a the next day there was an impromptu uh, uh, assembly in front of the new building where i think there was over a 1000 pupils in school at the time but uh, we found out about this uh, um early on Monday morning, and we were all a little bit shook after the night before, but nobody could find the cup, so there was panic. Panic was setting in, and uh, as we were getting closer and closer to the time that we were going to be paraded in front of the school, uh, the the cup mysteriously appeared uh, from the boot of a car, and uh, I believe it might have been John Kent, who wisely the night before removed the cup from us before we went celebrating, and uh, yeah, a catastrophe was avoided. <laughs>
5: I think from memory there was nine St. Mary's players on the team and six borders um, I think three of them obviously um, from Sligo being Sean McEwan and Cormac Cairns from Shamrock Gales and then uh, Donnie McDonough from Budden and then it was three Roscommon borders really was the makeup of the team so I suppose a lot of the St. Mary's lads would have known each other and there was always that you know look at the kind of the townie and and, and the borders typically were country lads and there was always that banter going on and over and back but no, I mean the morale within the squad was was brilliant and I think TJ and Peter Ford really created that in the sense and I have to say a person that was largely responsible for it as well was actually Father John Joe Gannon. You know, he... Um, I suppose in an indirect way he was a huge contributor to everything you know back then Summerhill had his own minibus and you know there was an old Volkswagen minibus and then, I think in 85 um, there was a brand new bus I suppose purchased and, and and semi-sponsored that year and John Joe was always the man to drive the bus and if we ever wanted to go anywhere he'd bring us he'd, he'd bring us to the games and he'd have music playing and there'd be a sing-song on the bus and everything else and I think it really created a fantastic atmosphere
9: i got my driving license back in 1958 and in those days you simply ticked every box and until recently i was um, entitled to drive uh, a juggernaut Uh, i happened to be coming up from class one uh, january day and the lads had been up in the park at a, a challenge match and i met father john green And he said to me, by the way, he said, do you have got a D licence? Yeah, I said, I have. He said, would you ever take the bus and go up to the park and and collect the lads and bring them down? They were left up, but there's nobody to bring them down. That was my initiation, my baptism into association with the Gaelic team in 1985. And
1: out of that, you became the summer Hill team bus driver
9: i began the, the bus driver for many years a task i must say i enjoyed it has its drawbacks but by and large it's filled with nothing but <laughs> good happy memories some scary ones but at the same time the overall picture has been one which you know i look back on with a lot of pleasure
1: and was it stressful jj like did you have to let a shout to keep them quiet
9: in the back en route to a particular venue there was no point in my shouting; I wouldn't be heard. Uh, the, the 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 racket was such that uh, you know it it it, it defied uh, any kind of 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 any de- uh, you, you want to be deaf. Uh, but however, let them alone, and uh, they had their fun, and I had my fun, and what not. So
5: you know, we got there, and we got back amongst this squad Austin there was great banter you know I always remember two particular guys that always stand out in the banter between them was actually Gavin Dykes I suppose uh, a lad from the town we'll call it and uh, Cahill Brady um, a lad from Elfin a border, and uh, they were always uh, squaring up in the nicest possible terms in the banter and the slagging and everything else and it's always something and the main part of it was Dykes used to accuse him that he couldn't get a girlfriend (laughs)
4: Yeah, my brother Aidan was in Summerhill a couple of years before me, and from a young age, he was always fond of lollipops. So Elfin was a great uh, town for nicknames, so he was aptly named Pop Brady. So when he left, uh, my brother Paul was also there. He became Pop, and I was the next Brady in line, so I became Pop Brady. So that's how Pop came about. And that stuck
1: with you throughout your football.
4: Yes, even today when I meet my old uh, school friends and teammates from that great Summerhill team in '85, I'm always referred to as Pop. Yeah, which is <laughs> that's nice. Brings back the memories. Brings back great memories. We had such a great camaraderie. All of that. All of those lads in the team. Uh, we, we went through five brilliant years of Summerhill, and uh, I look back on all of that time of fondness, I know... Um we had some brilliant teachers, um some of them have, have gone to their eternal repose like um Kevin Early and Eddie Moore and um I, I here in Elphin, at the moment of course we have John Jorganan who was who used to drive us to, to games in in the in eighty five and and Tommy McManus was great. Was a great source of encouragement to us all, and Michael Breslin, and yeah, we had we had uh, great teachers and great classmates, so th- that helped the f- my five years. So I always, I always uh, uh, like to um, look back on that period of time with fondness, and of course, the fact then in in my final year we got to an early and final a great run in the football was really the the uh, icing on the cake for me.
0: Pop Brady, sure he was a plague. We would educate him. He didn't know what roads were, never mind or traffic lights. He knew not know anything about it. Uh, he was a great lad, uh, and again a great footballer. Uh, I didn't understand it the, the whole uh, the whole Gaelic thing and the, and the parochial thing of it. I was from the town, and uh, I d- I do remember distinctly Johnny McDonough. Uh, how could you like what a footballer, what a, what a Gaelic footballer, what a great soccer player as well. He was the main man in the college at the time, but. Uh, he was just so, so talented, you know, he really, really was.
10: And I think up there at the back one those banners said Doni for the Hogan.
2: I liked to think I was about equally good at both of them. Maybe I wasn't, I don't know, but, uh, you know, uh, I had played for Ireland under-15s and, you know, been involved with the, the Rovers. I think I was maybe their youngest player ever at 15, and uh, you can't grow up in and adding Sligo without playing Gaelic football so uh, they kind of went hand in hand
1: I have a childhood memory that you were the marquee player on the Summerhill team of 1985 does that sound accurate to you
2: well I don't know I'll let someone else say that but uh, I was the captain of the team and uh, felt a, a lot of responsibility for us to do well and and uh there was a lot of guys. I, I got a little, maybe more of the honour because I was involved in the scoring side of it, but there but was a lot of guys worked very hard and uh, helped defend a lot better than me. But um, yeah, somewhat would have been thought that, but it was mainly because I took the freeze and did some scoring.
3: He just had everything, I suppose, and all of us kind of looked up to him because uh, at the time he was clearly, you know, a step above everybody else on the team. Um, you know, Peter Quinn was, was, was also a, a gifted, talented footballer, but, you know, Donny had all the skills that you would expect, you know, high fielding left and right foot. Um, you know, he had a lazy run, very, very good at, um, uh, I guess, you know, piercing runs through defenses. I mean, he could just take the ball when he, when he got on a run, it was very, very hard to stop him because he had that kind of lazy style that kind of weaved in and out and, um, yeah, he was he was a vital part of of not only the the Gaelic team but also the soccer team at the time.
5: You nearly could say, I suppose, to people that are more familiar with recent times of of maybe. Um Sligo football, he was probably a mix of Paul Taylor and Eamon O'Hara, maybe in many ways. That, you know, he could, you know, he could field ball at centre field. I mean, all kickouts back then, there was no such thing as a short kickout. Everything went long. He could control the game at midfield. He could carry a ball literally the length of the, the pitch and have the composure to slot it over the bar with left or right foot. We tried to challenge ourselves to be every bit as good as Doney and
4: even though he got plenty of slagging uh, he wasn't he might have been the picture boy for the team but we weren't letting him off too lightly <laughs> but yeah yeah and I think you know players around him grew and players around him uh, improved you know and um, it was it was very positive it was very positive uh, um, for the team uh, to um, to try and follow on his footsteps
1: Everyone talks about Donnie McDonough like, as the marquee player on this Summerhill team. Can you guys explain, what was it about the way he played the game that In endeared him to you guys, number one, but to the, the Sligo public, number two?
8: Well, he he had it all, really, I suppose. You know, he was uh, athletic. He was tall. He had good hands. Uh, smart with the ball. Two feet. Two great feet. Lovely, lovely dummy. And probably above all, he was ultra-competitive. He hated losing, you know, And every now and then you might have to tell him to cool down a little bit, uh, because you could see he he might be starting to lose if things weren't going his way or somebody was getting at him. Uh, But extremely skillful, and that semi-final display I think was as good as as I've ever seen uh, before or since I haven't seen anyone put on a performance like that Uh, From midfield he scored 1-8, and certainly Stefan White, as Peter mentioned, was a very good footballer, Uh, but he outshone him that day, clearly, and... We won that game, I think, 110 to eight pints. He scored the first 1-8 for Summerhill that day. Two other lads chipped him with pints later in the game. So he put on a and role for us. He was a phenomenal player, yeah. That's in funny. saying that, very few people... Uh, he's from bunning Probably very few young people kn- know anything about him. Uh, Dornie was exceptionally good at soccer as well. And um, after that, just leaving sort of went to the States to play soccer. And uh, I remember meeting him in Chicago one summer. He was playing there with, with a club and... Uh, um it's always a pleasure to meet him like uh, he, he he's he's been home in recent times I bumped into him and uh, I gather things are going well for him.
2: We had a big semi-final and it was like okay if we got to win we got to win here and then we'll play on television and you know it'll be it'll be a great time. Uh but we in the semi-final we played uh I believe it was Dundalk and it and it's funny that they had a guy that was uh, Stephen White. Apparently, I remember his dad was a big GAA player, and and this guy was like, you know, supposedly able to to beat us all on his own. And uh, and we, uh, I think we played in Mullingar, and uh, you know, he was a very good player, very good player. But I remember Martin Keeney and Tommy Brehany and uh, a few fellas getting stuck into him, and you know. Uh, that was a great that was perhaps our best performance it was my best performance i think i i think we scored one nine and i scored one eight of it and 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 it was a close game and it was very exciting but uh i do remember that guy's name and and how we were ready for him and how we you know we treated him not so nicely maybe
7: The Ireland semi-final was played in Mullingar. We organised a special train from Saigo. There was about 600-plus supporters on it, and I hope 600 got back. Um,
0: maybe they're, they're still wandering around Mullingar. We had Merton Keeney playing full-back, big and strong and uh, really hard. Not, I mean, we, we played, I think it was loud or whatever was going on, Dundalk, Dundalk yeah. in the semi-final and they had a fella called Stephen White and Martin Keeney was eating pictures of him for the week before we got to play him, you know, <laughs> like it was it was it was quite ironic really like we had just a, an unbelievable camaraderie that Peter and TJ put into us It
3: probably came down to a shootout between Donnie McDonough and Stephen White uh, Donnie McDonough got one po- one, one 1.8 uh, Stephen White got 5 points, he missed a few frees and you know, a towering fullback, Martin Keeney, basically um, had a fantastic game against them and, and kept him quiet. And um, you know, it was always going to come down to which of those two guys played the best. And thankfully, on the day, Donny did shine. You know,
8: it was a different era for your listeners. Like, there was no um, there was no local radio at that stage um, in 1985. There was only one local newspaper, to my knowledge, I think, at that stage, and that was the... No Twitter, no social no media. Twitter, yeah. No social media. YouTube didn't Thanks exist, you know. But Father John Jorgan, I think, did video a lot of the games, and I understand he has the, the footage all the time. But I thought the local newspaper of the time, the Sligo Champion, did a phenomenal job. People have showed me scrapbooks recently of the two or three pages they would do in the games. Obviously, you had Jim and Leo, Leo Gray there, but particularly um, Michael Morden, um, local Sligo man, and Sean McGoldrick who moved on, I think, to the Irish press and could be with the Sunday World still, from Sean from Leitrim. they did phenomenal coverage and they came to training sessions and they did interviews with players and all that. So I think that, everyone bought newspapers back then too because that was the main source of information, wasn't it? So that created the buzz and the knowledge about the team and all that and all of a sudden, the crowd started to go up and up and up.
9: Well, I'm going to sit back for the next few minutes and enjoy the action here in Leash. And I'm going to hand you over to our commentator in a moment, Gerard Canning. Perhaps I should say on the way through that it won't be a, an entirely neutral commentary box that we have here because our television director, Justin Nelson, went to Summerhill College in Sligo and the man who's handling the commentary this afternoon went to Colossia Crease 3, and that's Jerk Canning.
10: And there are some of the Summerhill supporters there and they're making plenty of noise up there on the... Stand away from us, plenty of colour.
1: A younger Ger Canning and Michael Lester fronting the live television coverage of the All-Ireland Colleges final in 1985. But it seemed most of the Summerhill support was at the game. The college had laid on another, even bigger, special train from Sligo to Portlaoise. And one of the teachers assigned to supervise that trip was Austin O'Callaghan, senior. <laughs>
10: It was a full-size train, maybe 10 carriages. And um, we had a carriage for teachers and parents who wished to travel. And we had girls from the Ørstein Convent and the Mercy Convent on that train. They stopped at Calooney for them. But the big difference was that because the match was in Port uh, Portlaoise, uh, we had to ensure that the train arrived at Connolly Station and that it left on the dot of a specific time so that it didn't interfere with the normal schedule of trains for that particular Sunday so it was essential that there was no problems on the way up or on the way back either one of our problems was to get from Connolly station to Houston station so that we could join the Cork line uh, to Portlaoise and uh, we were informed that it was important that students remained in their seats uh, on that particular journey from Connolly Station to Houston Station because there were there w- there's a tunnel uh, at some stage on that trip, and uh, st- students were advised not to put their heads out because there was no space. So, of course, when they were told not to do so, one wondered would <laughs> somebody might try it. But I don't think it happened, fortunately for us. So, Johnny Chadda, the the Lord of Mercy, I know Johnny, uh, had his tuck shop on the train. And we arranged with Johnny that the profits from the tuck shop would be given to the fourth-year students who would man the chains on the various carriages. So... I delegated two students to each carriage <coughs> to man the chain because if the chain was pulled, then the train would have to stop and it would take up to 20 minutes, maybe longer, for things for the pressure to build up again in order that the sh- train could continue. So everything worked okay. We arrived in Connolly Station... We had to move out straight away on the Cork line to get to Port Leash, and not delay in any way, and that worked perfect. And we arrived in Port Leash uh, on block, and things were great. And on the way back, as we approached Sligo, we then allocated the funds kindly donated by Johnny Chadda divided the cash among the students, and I thanked it each one of them, for doing a good job. And we sat down, relaxed, quite happy that everything had went well, and then when we were a short distance out from Sligo, somebody pulled the chain. And we were sitting on the train and could actually see away uh, waiting for us to arrive uh, in the, on the platform in Sligo. And after 20 minutes, we
6: eventually got into Sligo. Two things take, stand out for me. The crowd, number one. I, I don't know, was it, was it during the warm-up or were we just out on the pitch having a look around? But the, the train obviously arrived with our supporters. And I don't know how far away from the pitch they were, but all of a sudden the chant started, the drums. And we knew to the hour I know obviously Chris 3 would have support as well, but we just knew from the semi final this is, this is the Sligo last thing you could... There was a sort of a tremble in the ground or something, it like, could have been 500 metres away, I don't know, and they were getting closer and closer and closer, and the, the noise and the volume and the amount of supporters that were there, it was really... I Personally, I, I was like a normally be a calm person, and even playing myself, I wouldn't get too excited, but I, I found myself kind of, you know, trembling and said, that this is unbelievable.
10: So just two points between them, very much anyone's game.
2: We just didn't play our best we played well enough probably to win i remember us being oh we were running out of time and uh you know we were either down two points or three points and uh i remember getting the ball in the middle of the field and cormac and rocky Cairns had made a run in inside and. I, I hit a good ball into his path, and he was he was through with just the goalkeeper to beat.
3: I scored a point straight after half time, and then uh, ten or fifteen minutes later, I had a one on one chance. Of Donnie McDonough put me through. Um, I tried to chip the keeper, Jerome O'Mahony from from Cork, and uh, the ball went over the bar. Um, if that had gone under the bar, it would have put us a point up. Um, Jerry Sweeney was outside of me, but. Didn't see that until I watched the video afterwards.
10: Nicely taken down by Donny McDonough. Just two points in it. Cormac Kearns has got a free run here. The goalkeeper is coming to meet him. The chip, but it's over the bar when the goal was gaping. The best move so far. He knows it.
3: There's just. And a then they went up and scored a goal, goal fairly quickly after that, which put them into a driving seat. So they went five points up, and at that point, it was it was a, a tough. Tough ask to come back into the game. Were you going for I was for a going goal? for the goal. Absolutely, absolutely. And you can see from my reaction afterwards that I was pretty annoyed that I didn't go under the bar. Absolutely. He was trying to chip him. Yeah.
1: You have a good nature about
3: this thirty eight years later. Do people still bring it up? Absolutely. Uh John Kent is one of my uh <laughs> keeps reminding me of so he he'll never let me forget. But yeah, it's it's funny. Um Many, many, many years ago, I was—I uh, bought a uh, a bed in in Longford, and it was being delivered to our house many, many years ago. And um, after the event, and the guy looked at the docket at the door when he arrived. He says, "You're not the so-and-so that missed the goal in the All Ireland final." Uh, turns out he was a, a first year at Border in Summerhill at the time, and yeah, so a lot of people don't let me forget about it. As I keep remind them, I scored a point. I didn't miss a goal.
4: The biggest thing I can remember from from that day, apart from all of the build up and, and the great the great atmosphere and noise um, that the that Summerhill fans greeted us when we came out in the field, was when when the play got going was the size of the pitch, and uh, but we stuck to our task. You know, for a lot of the game we were under the cosh, but we were always in with a chance. We never threw the towel in uh and unfortunately for me uh my man got the got the all important goal and i suppose um you know we, we we after that we had chances but ultimately it just was a bridge too far but we we had we had some wonderful performances that day i mean martin Keeney at full back was immense he was at a tremendous game a really really giant at the back uh, the two midfielders Doney and Declan Conlon was the unsung hero in the middle of the field I know I've, I've I've talked about Doney a good bit but Declan Conlon definitely was was the unsung hero in the middle and Peter Quinn was exceptional as a centre forward led the line so well and you know I think Doney can attribute a lot of his scores to Peter Quinn's clever clever play and and uh, and, and the amount of scores he, he set up for other players so um, unfortunately, it wasn't to be on the day. Have you ever
1: watched it back?
4: Uh, no, actually. I, I watched a, 10 minutes of a tape. Um, I'd say it's about 20 years ago now, but I wasn't able to. I locked myself into a room to watch it, and I said, no, can't. I can't go any further. I just couldn't. I couldn't take... Uh, uh, I, I couldn't go through it. So I... I um, it was televised, and I know you asked me there about Elfin earlier on. It was the the build up in Elfin, which I was, I I I I wasn't aware of any particular. I knew uh, people knew I was playing in the final, and I know it was on in a few a uh, few bars in Elfin, including O'Callaghan's. I think most of my friends watched it, and, and most of uh, the football commentators in the town kept reminding me oh that was your fella that scored the goal so uh, that's one of the reasons maybe I didn't want to relieve all of that but yeah that was
5: um, no I haven't so I haven't uh, looked at it no I think everyone had tears in their eyes at the final whistle. There was no—I remember looking around the dressing room and, you know, trying to wipe my own eye and hoping that nobody else. But I looked around and and the guys that I thought was more hardened than me, you know, was 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 crying, crying in the corner. And I think everyone, bar no one, was you know they, they they were very upset at the final whistle. And it's a memory that'll always stand to me.
6: You were saying there that it rankles with some of the players. Of course it would. I mean that's the nature of a footballer. You don't get to play many All Ireland finals, and we you know ourselves like you get the chance and you're within a score of it and you don't make it, you're always going to be cross. You're always going to be, what if, or could I have done more? Or, could we have done more? There's always going to be that. And any team that plays in an all-iron final, if you lose, you're always going to be questioning yourself, could you have done more? And, you know, they were just so competitive and obviously, obviously it will hurt. It has to hurt. I mean, they wouldn't have got to, to a final unless they were those type of people, you know, and obviously you have to be disappointed when you lose a final. You don't get the chance, especially, especially a school team. It's different in a club or, county you get a chance with the same group but with a school team that's it you get one chance they go back to their clubs they go back to their different counties go off to college that's their one chance usually as leaving service for fifth years to be together and it's, it's going to hurt
1: what do you think finally a 17 year old Cormac Cairns might say to the 2023 Summerhill College team
3: well, it's fantastic to see them back in the final. And, you know, I suppose what I would say is is enjoy every minute of it, not just the game, the whole build-up, the lead-up to it. Uh, enjoy it, uh, savour the moments. I mean, you will look back on this in years to come and realise how, how, um, how important this day is, not only for yourselves, but your families, the school. Uh, it's uh, certainly a big occasion, but... Um, most important thing is to try and go out and play to your full potential, and and if you can do that on the day, you know, hopefully we'll get the win.
2: Enjoy it. It's uh, it's a once in a lifetime thing. That look look at us. We're talking about it uh, thirty eight years later, um, and then you know, don't have any regrets. Do the right things the days before as regards sleeping and eating, uh, and. Then when you get on that field, I would, you know, if I was one of the players, I'd look whoever's marking me in the eye and I would say to myself, I'm better than you and I'm going to destroy you today and uh, then go out and win that first ball and, and and everyone after that.
5: I think what I would probably say is, like don't be overawed by the occasion, don't be overawed by the surrounding and everything else um you know you'd be trying to instill you know and this particular team um you know they faced adversity all all year really you know um you know this is a chance of a lifetime and and go out there and take it and you know just play and do the things that you were doing that 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 brought you this far, and I think that would be the main advice I would give them. I
4: just hope that the squad, the first 15 and all of the subs, which I'm sure will be very important, that they remember that this is one chance that when I look back on it, um, you know, it's it's a great opportunity for them now. I wish them all the best of luck and I hope that each and every one of them give it their best and that some real this time come out with a, an Ireland title. The
6: big thing about a final that you've got to have your team really believing that they can win and that they, they know that they've worked on uh, they've got to be very relaxed and confident in their own ability uh, they've got to leave everything on the pitch because you you referred to earlier Austin the lads of 85 a lot of them is rankles that they could have played better so I mean it's your job to prepare yourself and give it absolutely everything and really work and work and work and work because it's usually not brilliant individual performances it's just the team that works the harder wins the breaking ball puts the most effort into it and uh, that comes out on top and I suppose the other thing that can happen teams, especially young fellas, and the, the you know, the winning post comes in sight and you could be the couple of points ahead is that the you know, I've experienced this with Mayo in, against me in nineteen ninety six myself, I was on the line with John Mohan that we were six points up, we didn't never envisaged we'd be that far ahead and we stopped playing. We got too defensive and started to defend on the lead like I was reading um, Philly McMahon Philly McMahon, the ex-Dublin player, wrote a book called The Choice. And it's something that I've learned to talk to teams about. Myself is that he was saying the Dubliner, he in particular, that when it comes with the the Dublin six and row team, when it was coming near the end of the game, right? He was getting annoyed that this could be over. You know, there's only two, and there could be. You know, most people, if you're a point or two ahead, you want to whistle the blow. He says they were never like that. He said, "Why? I don't want this team. It's too good. I want to get another tack. I want to get on the ball. I want us to score once more." And I think to win a fine, you have to have that mindset coming into the home stretch. You know, if the winning post is in sight. Don't panic. You know, don't climb a point up. We'll settle down. Go and play because you'll never get the chance to play against again. school. The school uh, footballers won't get the chance to play in all our colleges again. So you've got to seize every minute counts, and especially the last five minutes, the injury time. Really go for it and don't be thinking about the results. Just get on the ball and make things happen.
8: Got to leave everything on, on, on the pitch, you know. Got to enjoy it. It is a final, but at the same time, it's just an, another game. Uh, these two teams have met already this year. In, in a friendly match around Christmas time, and I think there was very, very little in it. Um, the opposition looked good in the semi final, but you'd have to question uh, who, who they were playing against. Uh, this team has shown great character. I've been at a lot of their matches. They've had tough games against in three or four teams, and uh, they've beaten quality teams. They've beaten a clear Galway team that, that had six of last year's Galway minor winning team and three of the previous year's teams. So that's that was a quality team. They had a great second half, they outscored them 12 points to 4 that day in the second half. They obviously had the belief in themselves, they have the, the the personality among themselves to do it as well, so um, get into it from the start, leave it all out there on the pitch and good luck.
0: The Sligo Boys in Blue was produced and presented by Austin O'Callaghan. This program is also available as a podcast. To find it, search for Ocean FM Ireland wherever you get your podcasts.